Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice. And I cannot believe where it's the 13th of March, well, 12th of March, where Benji is, wherever that is. And we're getting cycling this good, not just in one race, but in three separate races on a Friday during the day. And yeah, I feel like we're very lucky. And I'm worried, Benji, that people are going to join. You know, everyone's a hardcore fan pretty much that follows this podcast. Um, But then people will join for the Tour de France in July. And sometimes the Tour de France is not as exciting as Tirreno Adriatico. Um, but and they'll be like, "What's all this fuss about?" So I just hope, I just hope uh, it's exciting then for them. But we're lucky today. I just want to give a big shout out to our show partner, Lacole. As you know, the title sponsor for Drops Lacole. That's the third part of this podcast. Three separate YouTube videos: Paranese Stage Six, Tirreno Adriatico Stage Three, and Healthy Aging Tour Stages Two and Three. Drops Lacole, Con- British Conti team, they overperform, not even just a meme, they're actually overperforming in the Healthy Aging Tour. They got a rider on six on GC, um, and yeah, they're competing against riders, SD Works, who need no introduction, etc. So if you want to go and check out Lacole's Instagram, they've got a little photo diary and they've got a page on their website about Drops Lacole and them competing at Healthy Aging Tour. We'll have a link to that in the description to their Instagram. But first, Paranese stage six. I said in my preview, I got to self plug myself on my own podcast. I said <laughs> in the preview video that this finishing stage reminded me a lot of the stage uh, to Swan says in Welter stage 10 last year. 3,000 meters plus of climbing, 203 kilometers, medium mountain stage with no steep climbs and no climbs lasting longer than about 12 to 14 minutes. Finishes, goes from Brignol to Biot. And the final climb was two kilometers at 5.2%. And it reminded me, well, actually, I got I to say the market's got it right, Benji, uh, pretty much for the bundle of riders at the top. But Bennett was the favorite for Swansea Stage 10 last year. But we didn't think that was a good idea because this hard finish. They got Cavagnar in that team. He attacked last year, which we thought was a good move. They got Cavagnar here today to turn a quick step. We thought Roglic, Matthews, and Co. were the favourites for the stage. Uh, we said that yesterday, or even Lutschenko from a break. <laughs> but um, yeah, ha- oh, actually, speaking of the breakaway, in that break was just Lutschenko, Elisande, uh Anthony Perez, Julian Elfares. Victor Campanats and Jonathan Iver. Are you surprised there weren't more riders in that break, Benji? Oh, I'm not sure. I think we expected a bit of a different approach from some riders. I was looking more at a Freiler or something instead of a Lutsenko. Yeah. Uh, I think Lutsenko was a bit closer in GC, so that's why we budged towards Freiler, Six perhaps. Minutes. Thomas de Gent, um, he was also uh, not really there in the breakaway at all. So he seems to be having a bit of a... Uh, relaxed start of the season i guess because we haven't seen him too much in breakaways i think in new eater we saw him twice i think in the breakaway for a tiny bit but yeah in the Spiranese it hasn't really been the case perhaps in the coming days we'll see but yeah i think i expected other riders perhaps perhaps not more riders yeah i thought there'd be a few more and because they none of them were threats on gc and none of them were particularly it wasn't a large group they were allowed to pretty much do what they wanted for this stage um they got a gap out to three minutes and it just stayed like that they cleaned up all the KOM points they cleaned up the intermediate sprint seconds etc eventually Perez and Alfares were dropped from that group Elisonda was the strongest of them Jumbo Visma were pacing behind and honestly we thought Roglic was a good chance for this stage like I think Roglic is we know Roglic is so good at these finishes so I don't even think Jumbo Visma were just pacing for um I don't know, because they felt obliged to, because they had the leader 
I think they were also chasing because they thought there were bonus seconds on offer as well. But we'll skip forward now. They're chasing, bring the gap down, gradually, gradually, Yumba Visma. And Ella Saunders, then the last rider in that breakaway, has dropped everyone on this rolling medium mountain parkour. And 15 k's to go. He's got like a 13-second lead. It's dwindling down. We can see the he's about to get caught by the peloton. And it was actually Cofidis. Sorry, Benji. Cofidis were the ones going nuclear on the front on one of those last ascents. And um, who who did you think they were riding for at that point? Because I was confused. It's like Guillaume Martin, not punchy enough. Christophe Laporte, a sprinter. They, they need someone who's like them combined. Like, who, what do you think their plan was? Uh, I actually thought they were riding for Laporte. And uh, I think we've yeah. seen that over the last couple of weeks that he's because been coming forward more and more. Besage as well, but also in the last couple of years, he's been relatively decent at hilly sprints. He's good at the rougher stages that then end up in a mass sprint. But he's also, is a, he's just also a bit inconsistent throughout the season. And I think on the races that really mattered, he never shined through and never achieved what he was hoping for. And I think he is slowly but surely crawling back to the level that I hope that he can ride in for an entire season here because Dude, he he's been at he's been at top level at Paranese. Yeah. Like really impressive. I mean we haven't liked some of his moves, but top how many top fives does he have? Now, anyway, like he's he's running like a proper he's off of this our world tour. They're not pro, they're not pro Conti anymore, but he's running really, <laughs> really well. Um, and I think he should go to the Vuelta, to be honest. But we'll get to that in a second. The Koenig Quickstep came to the front. They're closing Elisand. The Cofidis have done a lot of work because Jumbo Vision won't bring it back quickly enough. And then Jonas Rutsch, the young German for EF Education Nippo, we've seen him. He's a big guy big engine like Cavagnar, he attacks at the place I said in the preview perhaps that Cavagnar might attack or Cataneo might have gone yeah. in the breakaway. I thought they should have gone on the break and they didn't. And it was the perfect is exact place you would see Cavagnar attacking where no trains really assembled. If one train commits to chasing, they may burn themselves and leave their rider isolated. This is also a climb where you can lose time on GC if you you know, are out of position or have to do too much work. Do you think I was, were you surprised Cavagnar or no one else joined that Rutsch move? Yes, because it basically forces the Koenig to keep pedaling in the peloton because Bennett was still there. And yeah, they had they, to keep chasing. Yeah, they seemed to be going all out for Bennett at that point. And they had, I think, four riders ahead of Bennett at that moment and they kept on chasing. And if they put Cavagnar on the breakaway, then they're forcing someone else to take over, the likes of a Yumbo or any Yumbo other team had that no has riders. interest. Yeah, exactly. So who would have chased? I uh, is again? I don't know. They didn't have too much either left, so yeah. it would have been much more difficult for anybody to catch the front group if Cavagnar was with Rich, for example. And no one had full trains. Like It's also the kind of perfect stage I would expect a Cavagnar to do this on. I'm really surprised they didn't go for that tactic. I think they started the day saying, if Bennett gets to that point, we're going to ride for him. And perhaps he deserved that after what he's done before. He's already done decent on similar finishes, but this one's like next level, I think, and is not really what I see a Bennett achieving something on. We said it yesterday. But the stage in the stage in the Vuelta, Benji, the stage in the Vuelta yep. we keep mentioning, Bennett was the favorite, but they still attacked with Cavagnar to yep. put pressure exactly. on the other team. So you, it's not like you have to choose one or the other. If Bennett's good enough, he's good enough, but it allows you to keep that train intact as well um, by not chasing as Benji said anyway we'll get to that in a second we'll maybe dive into that a little bit more uh, afterwards Ruch goes he's there's this pretty fast but a pedaling descent going into the finish he's got poor he catches poor Kenny Ellison he's been in the break for like three hours plus you know there's about a 40 kilo and 35 centimeter difference between the two <laughs> riders they're on a pedaling downhill and Jonas Ruch keeps flicking Ellison through and Ellison didn't react. Ellison was like, are you kidding? If I pull, if I even could, I'd probably be slowing you down and we'd lose this 10-second gap very quickly. So Jonas Ruch, not the, um, probably not the highest IQ plays there. I think he should have just focused on going clear. And like he was dropping Ellison on every rise. Four Ks yep. to go. They had a 10-second lead, but this climb was still pretty, I don't know, 10 seconds going to get eaten up very quickly on that climb. Alexander Vlasov had a mechanical, not a crash. He quickly changed his bike with Sobrero. 
Vlasov is quite a tall guy for a GC contender, like 6'2", I think. But the Sabrero's bike was a little bit small for him, but like uh, in a good way. Like it's, it's better to be slightly too small, I think, changing over than to have a bike too big, which I think Daya Quintana's bike for Nairo looked a bit more uncomfortable the other day. Vlasov quickly got in the convoy on the descent before the climb and got back on, thankfully, for him. I'm not sure. Well, there wouldn't have been a three-kilometer rule because it was a mechanical. Maybe mechanicals count the three-kilometer rule. Don't know, Benji. Someone can correct us in the comments. Jonas Ruch gets mopped up uh, with about 1,500 meters to go. And Bennett's still there. Buani's been dropped. Demar's been dropped as they hit this climb. And it's Seneschal leading out for Bennett, Benji. But you could see on the front on that Roglic was second wheel, Bennett was third wheel, Matthews Laporte up there, and Bennett was already struggling. We're not talking in like the last 200. It's like 1,200 metres. So what do you think about Seneschal continuing to pull? And could Seneschal have actually been a chance for this stage, Benji? I've seen him in, in some races, oh, maybe... Dwarsdorhead Hageland, a bit shorter climb, but against MVDP and Wapanat, he's not bad on these sort of finishes. Yeah, he's not bad, but I also don't think he would have a real possibility for himself. Okay. If you're in that situation, if you've got Bennett near you, then I feel like it's more likely to ride for Bennett because I feel like he deserved that from what he's done before this season. And if the climb was a bit easier and the tempo on it by the Koenig was lower, then Bennett could have gotten further. And that's where the Cavania play comes in again. Because let's say Cavania did go for the tag. Let's say he forced other teams to try and take over to the front. I don't think another team would have closed down the gap to Cavania by the bottom of the climb. I think that they'd have to pull towards Cavania on the climb itself. And it wouldn't have been the Koenig doing it. And I'm not sure if the tempo would have been lower or more in Definitely the peloton. Lower. Yeah, I'd no expect was, it too. If Seneschal had stopped pulling at, under the Flamme Rouge, Benji, what, who would have yeah. pulled? Roglic didn't have a teammate. He didn't have a single teammate. He was on his own at that point. Uh, there's no Colbrelli for I think... turns. I, I think Haig might not have been there for turns. It was just Martin and Laporte were the only teams with two riders that I saw. I think that if that would happen, then Martin would have attacked at that point instead of, True. well, spoilers. He attacked Italian but later into the last <laughs> kilometer and tried to surprise everybody. Unfortunately for him, that was was not ideal, but I feel like it was a great move, I agree, because what it does is, if Martin moves past everybody in that final section, I think it was the last 400 meters, 450 meters, something like that. He attacked at 500, yeah, so sorry, just before then, Seneschal's been pacing, he drops Bennett out of the train, Bennett blows up, it's Roglic, Laporte, Matthews is there on that wheel, Roglic is isolated with from like 700, 750 And yeah, as you were saying, Benji, Martin attacks at 500. Yeah, why did, why was that good tactically? It allows Laporte, who was sitting in the wheel of Roglic, to just sit there and basically be led to the finish line by Roglic, while Roglic would have to react to Guillaume Martin spending energy. We'll go into this as well, a similar tactic in our Tirreno preview. No, review. <laughs> in a bit, <laughs> I think that's going to be the other YouTube video or the same podcast, depending on where you're listening here. But... The Martin move basically puts Laporte in the perfect seat. But on the other end, it also puts more pressure onto Laporte. And that's the difficulty yeah. with this. You can attack so like Martin you think Martin he should did. have soft-faced? You think he should have ah. gone in the front ridden false tempo because Laporte's the punchier guy, theoretically, than Roglic? The thing about it is, I think that if Martin didn't make the move, Laporte would have been much closer to the victory today. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get it. I'll just say what happened. Roglic closes him down like a long way on his own in the last 500 and then Roglic is just like you know what I'll just start sprinting for the win I don't even care that there's anybody behind me he's got Laporte Michael Matthews the guy that's like the only one of the only people ever to follow Phil Gill on the Cowberg um, and who's won the Canadian races with hard climbs in it multiple times anyway still climbing well but he's got them on his wheel it's not it isn't the hardest climb we just thought it was too hard for the pure sprinters. And Roglic, they literally can't even get up to Roglic back wheel or get out of his draft. Roglic wins easily, towing Laporte and Matthews to the line. Crazy win from him. He's already on insane form. The final, the top 10, Roglic first, Laporte second. Still a lovely performance from Laporte and Kofidis, I think. Matthews third, 
Um, Dylan Turns fourth. Aurelian Ferrepanthra fifth. Very nice from him. Lucas Hamilton sixth. Maybe we've got some uh, Simon Gerrans, Michael Matthews World Championships issues already with Matthews and Hamilton. Benji, we'll talk about that in a second. Brian Cockard seventh. Quanta Pacher eighth. Speaking of those issues, both on BNB Hotel <laughs> seventh and eighth. Sergio Anau ninth. And Chris Newlands tenth. The Latvian for Israel Startup Nation. Very nice finish for him too. But yeah, Roglic Benji. I, we expected it. Uh, like, should we be surprised that he's so good on a finish like this? Not really after last year's Vuelta. I think you mentioned it at the start already that that stage where Ben was a favorite in Swanchez was basically the stage where we announced the day before, this is never going to happen. No way in hell he's winning this. And it happened like that. And we knew that and it's not the just Bennett, it's just, it's just it's any pure sprinter. Like yeah. We didn't think Damar or Buani or Bauhaus uh, sort of guys would um, would win either. But yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, um, that's exactly my thought process. And additionally, I think we mentioned yesterday that we thought Matthews and Roglic would be the people that you'd expect on this kind of finish. But it always surprises me that Matthews seems to be just always missing out a tiny bit. And... I know. It annoys me because you'd expect that he can really pull it off on this kind of finish. It's literally perfect. And he came third, Benji, on that sprint stage the other day, the pure sprint stage. He yeah. came third. And so my rationale, and it played out exactly as I thought it was going to play out, was, okay, I think Matthews is going to be the quickest guy. If you said who's, if you had to rank the riders in the top 10, who are the quickest guys in this top 10? I thought he was going to be the quickest guy to make the top 10. And then if you told me he's going to be on Roglic and Laporte's wheel the whole time in the last 400, and Roglic has had to chase down for 500 meters. Yeah. Um, and there was just no burst, Benji. He just didn't yeah. have that acceleration, which we saw in Sharub. Um, So is that what you were surprised by, that he couldn't come out of the wheel? Because I expected him to win from 300. Yeah, I expected it to be uh, much closer at least. I thought that Roglic looked to be in an ideal position in exactly the same way as in that Vuelta stage. So very unpredictable to expect Matthews' capabilities of winning something. Because like every single time we say that he can win something, he doesn't. I know. I like. I didn't expect him to come in top five in any of the bunch sprints and he came third. Um, then I, yeah, I still though, third is not a bad result on a finish like this. Um, I actually do think... Ultimately, Matthews and Magnus Court. Magnus Court's a better example of this. Magnus Court got dropped. They're better if there's been this climb. They stay with this lead group, and then there's the reduced bunch. What was the stage, Benji? Won by, oh, was it won by Almeida in the Giro where they all went over the climb? There's like four quick step riders with Masnada and Conrad sprinting, and Sagan and Ballerini had been dropped. And no, Ulysses, Ulysses won it. It was the second one Ulysses won, not the Agrigento stage. The second stage Ulysses won is where I think Matthews is actually really good, um, where it's actually a group of 10 and the, the sprint is on the flat and yeah. the climb has made the selection. That's the one where Sagan was behind, right? Where Mike and yes, Conrad yes, or Sagan something? Yes, and Ballerini yeah. behind. Yeah. And we were like, yeah. oh, should quick step block. Um, Magnus Court, much the same. His stage win in the Vuelta last year was the same as a flat sprint. Roglic second <laughs> still. Um, but, yeah, what about MSR for Matthews Benji? I still think it's encouraging for him. Uh, I think he'll be able to stay. I don't think he'll follow the big boys on Poggio. But if they get caught, big if, I think he'll be pretty good from the group behind. I think he's in the same situation as every single year. And I think that, <laughs> yeah. He it's always so has true. an opportunity, but it just never works out, does it? But last year, he did come very close, but he also rode into a wall or something in the descent of the Poggio with his hand. Was it last year? No, he got, he got put into the wall when he was trying to follow Alaphilippe's attack on Poggio. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's not ideal. So that might have hindered his capabilities of winning. But then again, I don't think he would have been able to follow in any way. No matter yeah. that got away. And that's a problem here, I think, for... Milanus and Remo in the coming few years that you've got Vanderpool, Vanard, Alaphilippe, and always these kind of punchers that can pretty much blow away on the Poggio whilst Amatus will attempt to hang on. And likely that's not going to work looking at how 
how this season has gone so far when it comes to Vanderpool, Van Aert, and Alaphilippe. But yeah. I guess we'll venture into that more once we go over to Reno. So you think Quickstep made a mistake today riding for Bennett? Yep. Um, I think they did. I think they should have given the opportunity to Cavanaugh, Cataneo, and then maybe Seneschal if it came back to a punch sprint. Is there anyone missing out big time, Benjamin? Roglic, like, I think people... Shuckman's a weird rider, isn't he, Benji? Yeah, like, he is. He's such a weird rider. Like, and this is why I was, I, I like Shuckman. I love the Bora guys. Uh, I think they're funny. But when I did the preview, I was like, he has no chance of winning this Paris unless something crazy happens because he's not a better puncher than than Roglic. And all these intermediate sprints where he could try and mop up seconds, like he has been allowed to get a few now that Roglic is so far in the lead. But like the bonus seconds at the end of a punchy climb is still where Roglic has a massive advantage on Shackman. And I, I'm still surprised though, Benji, Benoit and Shackman, not 18th and 19th behind Van Bala and Pierre Latour is, isn't a great result for guys trying to get bonus seconds. I think the problem with Shackman himself is that we've seen him like change the way he rides a bit. I think he has lost explosivity since two years ago. I think he started at, at Bora started well went from the Koenig to Bora I'm not sure if it was called the Koenig back then already but he went to Bora and he started winning those stages Lapa. in those Spanish races I don't know I can't remember if it's Catalonia or Basque Country but I think he won three stages in a row very similar to this one and it was always a tiny hill at the end and he just sprinted away in the last 800 meters and nobody could react and I feel like that has gone away a bit he hasn't really shown that capability anymore afterwards and he's moved more into I'm going to try and attempt to climb better and be able to do relatively this. Yeah. And yeah. it feels like he's lost a lot of his explosivity there. Or perhaps the competition wasn't that great in that Spanish race. But it would surprise me if it really was a bad competition, to be honest. Benji, where the fuck is Benoit Cosnerfois? What is he doing? <laughs> he's nowhere. Oh, yeah, actually, he probably would have got dropped in the middle of the stage with <laughs> with the sprinters. No, he wouldn't have. It was a pretty easy stage because uh, the sprinters still made the... But why is he not here? I just... I can't believe I forgot where he is. I think Cosnefry would have been coming top three in this stage minimum. Um, is he injured or unwell? He's doing Basque Country. Lot, I don't know like what he's school. doing. He should be doing Milano San Remo and Strade Bianchi and such. He not his first race is Basque Country. He might have had a crash, Benji. I feel like I he don't might have remember. Been yeah, um, but anyway, I think this finish would have really suited. And that's the, I, I got reminded him because of what you said about Shackman, Benji. So you think like Cosnefroy was pure puncher. He like any climb over twenty like over fifteen minutes, just forget about him. But Shackman, you're saying is trying to be like medium mountain stage in the Tour de France, like he or she, but then he, you think that's he's lost his punch, whereas, yeah, he used to be had that really good punch in the last 800 metres. But still a pretty pretty nice stage from Paris. Actually, it was better than the stage yesterday. Roglic in the absolute driver's seat on GC. Forgot to mention Brandon McNulty crashed and had to abandon. Yep. Real, real shame. Like this, to be honest, Benji, we've learned nothing in this Paris. Sam Bennett's way better than all the other sprinters, and we already knew that before the race. Roglic is way better than all the other GC contenders, and his main competition has crashed out. I wanted to see whether Ineos would pick Port or Gagan Hart or how they would do with that and be aggressive. Unfortunately, both of them have crashed out. Um, I want to see Port, I think, would have been... Yeah, I just want to see how they go. I want to see how Gagan Hart, McNulty would have gone on the long climb tomorrow. And we obviously don't know anymore. So, like, what, what's supposed to happen tomorrow, Benji? Like, well, Vlasov is and Izagira are supposed to attack Roglic on La Colmien. I don't, I don't see it happening. So Roglic got a forty-one second lead on GC on Sharkman, fifty second on Jan Izagira, and fifty-one on Vlasov. I think everyone else is fighting for the. They're going to fight for their podium spots tomorrow, Benji. And I don't blame them really. One hundred twenty k stage. They've changed the route a little bit. Uh, but still, the finish is the same. 16.2K, 6.2% climb, and um, Primoz Roglic is going to win. So, yeah, do you think they're going to ride for GC? Am I being too cynical, Benji? Or do you think something can happen to usurp Roglic? 
think there are people that are going to try and attack Roglic or do something about it. It's still Paris-Nice. It's not the tour where they are super defending their second off that spot, but I still think there's nothing you can do about it. He's going to be more isolated. We've seen that before in this Paris-Nice, that he's not that surrounded. He doesn't have a uh, Vanar or something. Kreuzberg could be better Kreisberg and Bennett will likely... F- it fits Kreisberg, this climb. It's, it's not really the steep section. It's like a steady gradient, so... That should work. Bennett should always also be good on this. Yeah. I don't see anybody being able to beat your boy Roglic here, but I somehow hope that Vlasov accidentally gets a bit of a 20 second lead on the climb and then it's a 1v1 battle and then it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm going to go with. Uh, oh, no. Roglic, obviously, his favorite. But, uh, Lushenko. <laughs> Lushenko, I think he's back to back. He's strong in back to back breaks in the UAE tour. Lutsenko in the break I'll be looking out for. Um, he's a good chance. Han van Hocke, don't know how much time he's lost. If he hasn't lost a lot of time to get in a break with Lutsenko, I wish he had. But uh, yeah, Rolls the favorite out of the GC group. Hopefully there's a break. Uh, but that's our Paranese recap. Now moving on to Terreno Adriatico, which was a bit of a sleepy stage for the majority of it. 221 k's, a really long one. Montechiano to Guardo Tadino, over 3,000 meters climbing, just a lot of rollers, but no extended climbs, except the Poggio della Croce, 4.5 k's at 7.5%, about 136 k's, 130 k's into the stage. The final was kind of a... Just an uphill drag, just a nasty uphill drag that riders afterwards says was said was harder than they expected with a left-hand turn with about 250, 300 metres to go, uh, maybe a bit less. And, um, yeah, it's just a – I think the second to last kilometre was about 3% gradient. It was a bit flatter in the last K. But how did this stage play out, Benji, uh, for the first, first two-thirds of it? So we had a breakaway, like always. Mark Padun. Mattia Baiz, we had Tobias Ludwigsson, Guillaume Bovin, Niki Terstra. Of those, Baden was the rider that, for me, seemed to be the strongest in the breakaway. And he's also the rider that was with Nervais in that Giro stage that Nervais won, but Baden punctured in the last uh, descent and wasn't able to fight for a stage. So that was unfortunate. But he tried again today in Tireno. Break, meh. It got a huge gap for a bit. Nine minutes, I think, with 100k into the race. So... They certainly let them go for a tiny bit, but then it started gradually being climbed back. Bernal, MVDP came to the front with like 100Ks to go with with Bernal and Al Philippe, and they're like, yeah, let's create a split. They just can't help themselves. Um, <laughs> they're Love just it. addicted to racing action at the moment. Um, and it caused Ewan to be dropped. Exactly. And the thing about Ewan is usually he's not terrible at crosswinds, I dare to say. Sometimes he's inconsistent in them, which... He was good not at always useful. Yeah, at UAE he was good at them. But the issue here at hand is that he also dropped from the latter groups and he started riding alone at the end of the race. And when you're in that situation, you're basically fucked because try and get in the time at that point. If you're 100k TT, people on a training. <laughs> so uh, he said, fuck it, I'm going to jump in the car and he, he's driving yeah, home I mean, in the car tonight. So, uh, I think he, he might, might have felt unwell. I don't know. Like it was, it was a little bit, the pace wasn't super hard, but then again, it didn't surprise. He was, uh, he was third in the betting for this stage, Benji. And, uh, I have to say, uh, I went pretty heavily against it. When I see the number th- apart from Milano Sanremo, where I still don't, I know he came second, but that was in a different era before the new world of Vanderpool, Alfleet and Wafan Art, um, but yeah, didn't really like him for today's stage, but still getting dropped that early, I didn't expect that uh, either. Jumbo Vismuth, they said, we're not chasing anymore. The gap went down to three minutes, and they're like, no, we're not doing this all on our own because Alpacin and Quickstep weren't helping. And then the gap went out to six minutes, and then eventually Alpacin and Koenig started to help them because I think they were leaning on them being like, well, you got the leader's jersey, so why don't you chase, even though we got Ballerini <laughs> and Matthew Van der Poel and Al Philippe. <laughs> And I think that was good from Jumbo Visma. They're like, well, it's 10 bonus seconds, but whatever. Um, it's your stage that you might want to win as well. But yeah, sorry, when did they get caught, Benji, the breakaway? Well, I don't know the exact kilometer, but they got caught. And we were leading with the peloton towards the, towards the finish. And 
Obviously, the three teams that you just mentioned were Alaphilippe's team, De Koning, Van Aert's team, Jumbo, and Van der Poel's team, Alpecin, at the front. I personally thought that Alaphilippe was not going to be the person that they were be that they would be riding for today. You thought it as well yesterday, I think. Ballerini was the name you named as well for the stage next to the two people that we also kind of expected here, which were Van der Poel and Van Aert. So it was looking like it was going to happen the way we kind of expected it to, the peloton going towards the final climb. But unfortunately, just before that final section, we had a pretty serious crash on the left side of the road, including the likes of Desfazion, uh, Kung, Simmons, Oss, Simmons once again, pretty uh, unlucky when it comes to the crashes, and Aolo Cometa rider ahead of him uh, seemed to slide uh, onto the floor. And yeah, it didn't look too great for the Aolo rider, so I hope he's pretty fine. Some people made a mistake going into the final climbing section. I think with a good one kilometer to go, we had the third lead out of the Koenig moving to the front. I think it was Stibar that was heading to the front and taking the front once they went on to the climbing section with a good 1,200 meters to go or something. We noticed just beforehand that Vanderpool was like in 20 wheel once again. And then 100 meters later, he was in fifth wheel. So teleportation skills likely actually there. He was so deep. He was so far back. It was like 1,500 meters to go on this climb. And there was a narrow road too. And then it changed to a front-end shot, and he's suddenly there. And it was like, excuse me, where did you come from on Wout van Aert's wheel? How many people did Wout van Aert have? He only really had Timo Rusen. He So they did, yeah, they he only had one lead-up, man, from like 1,300, right? Yes, uh, Timo Rosen was moving on the front. On the left side of the road, Van der Poel made that teleportation move into the wheel, basically, of an art there. I think that Ballerini and Alaphilippe were both at the front together with Stibar, like we just mentioned. Stibar moving to the front into the last corner, really, and basically taking that corner onto the climbing section, which really started kicking up right now with Alaphilippe in second wheel and Ballerini not in third wheel. And he made a mistake in the last corner because Van Avermaet was moving up on the right, and he gave his third spot away to Bella, to well, to Van Avermaet. And Ballerini was not in the wheel of Alaphilippe there. And that made a huge difference for the last kilometer. Because after a good 200 meters into that final kilometer, Alaphilippe looked behind into a rightwards bend. And he noticed, well, Ballerini's not in my wheel. He's two wheels behind. So Shibar's ahead of me. Van Avermaet is in my wheel. Van Aert and Van der Poel are behind Ballerini. How can I handle this? And he has a genius idea of basically soft pedaling, allowing Stibar to create a gap ahead of him and basically allows, yeah, and basically allows Stibar to take that gap onto the others and try and force others to take over and force those others to close the gap to spend their energy. Who could do that? Of an Avamad, of an Art or Vanderpool Ballerini is not going to do it because Stibar is at the front. And also Alaphilippe's not going to do it because he just opened the gap to Stibar. So it would be stupid to do it himself. And there was one rider that reacted to that, and that's Wout van Aert. I don't know. I'm not sure whether it's really a mistake to react to that. Somebody had to do it. And I think van Aert is the more imp impulsive person to do it. Van der Poel would also do it, but I think van der Poel... He was, van der Poel was kind of boxed in. He, like, while van Aert had the clearer lane to the left-hand side, van der Poel was kind of mid-pack and only then had space to follow Wout van Aert to the left. I think leader's jersey on his shoulders. He wants the bonus seconds ahead of uh, Pogacar and co. Maybe he thought he could gap them off his wheel. I mean, it's tough, Benji. And that's why it's such a good move from Alaphilippe. But uh, yeah, what happened then? Van Aert decided to close the gap on Stibar. He did it not really at the fullest pace. He kept in mind that he had to sprint afterwards. So was closing it down with that idea in mind. Van der Poel decided to directly jump onto Van Aert's wheel. He was getting a lead out from Van Aert, basically, which is amazing. And then the other people behind started minkling about a bit. And that, I think, is also an issue for Ballerini here. Because Ballerini had Alaphilippe, who came from the front, moved back. And Van Aert was still ahead of Ballerini. And he had to make a decision. Either Ballerini stays in the wheel of Van Aert, which is not ideal. Either he tries to stay in the wheel of Alaphilippe and hopes that Alaphilippe gives him a lead out, which is also not ideal, but it's perhaps the better decision. Or he can go around Alaphilippe and go onto the wheel of Van der Poel. And I think that would have been the wisest decision, but he decided to go with the second decision and stay in Alaphilippe's wheel. 
And I don't think Alaphilippe recognized that directly. And I don't think Alaphilippe immediately thought, oh, shit, I need to do a lead out now. And he looked behind and then he started to realize, okay, I need to get back on the wheel of the likes of Vanderpool and Vanard here. And Vanard was closing down the gap to Stibar, flew past him in the last section. Vanderpool started sprinting on the right of Vanard and they started doing that 1v1 basically. And it's the same kind of sprint that we see in the Tour of Flanders in a bit of a similar way because Vanard is kind of forced to not go all out and doesn't have an all out speed into the last section, which allows Vanderpool, a rider with more acceleration in the sprint. The initial boost in the sprint is always on Vanderpool's side. And yeah, it gave him so much more energy to fly past Vanard there. I think Vanard also spent a lot of energy catching Stibar there. And that is how Vanderpool won the race today. Alaphilippe's ended up coming 34th. I think he was really decelerating through that corner. I think I think Alaphilippe assumed that Ballerini had jumped onto Vanderpool. I think so as well. Or Igita and wasn't really doing a proper lead out at that point. And then Ballerini was sitting behind him. Oh, shit, I've got to jump now. And he had to, by that point, it was too late. I think two things obviously really counted for Vanderpool in this, as Ben, you already alluded to. The left-hand corner caused them to slow down. And then it's an accelerative sprint that suits Vanderpool more, going from a lower speed. Secondly, obviously, uh, Wapenard having to do a lot of work in the last 500 meters, closing down. Stieber, uh, getting a full draft off him is just ideal. And when I saw Wabanak closing it, I was like, you can't win. Like You, you yeah. literally can't win the stage with Vanderpool yeah. on your wheel. Your level is too similar that there's no chance. And re quick step losing the wheel, as you'll remember, Benji, obviously, and everyone listening, you know, stage six of Velta a San Juan Internacional uh, in 2020, 174K stage, finishing in the Autodromo El Villacum. Uh, Quickstep lost the wheel of Stieber in the last kilometre and a kind of uphill undulating finish, and he ended up winning that stage. We've seen them do it with Stieber before. Yeah. Um, do you think, like, I, I feel like Alaphilippe had no confidence in Ballerini today, honestly. As weird as that sounds, I feel like he wasn't comfortable because at that point, Benji, they could have just done a normal lead out for Ballerini and seen if he was better able to beat Wafanat and Vanderpol heads up. Like Stieber would have led them through to the last corner, that left hander. Alaphilippe would have kicked out of the left hander, and Ballerini, yeah, would have had the chance to win or could have sprinted from there. Was the problem you think that he'd somehow lost Alaphilippe's wheel? Yeah, I think that's the initial problem, and that's the initial reason why Alaphilippe also made a decision to actually open up the gap. He looked behind, and directly afterwards, he decided to let Stibar go. True. So I really think that the reason that Ballerini did not get a lead-out today by Alaphilippe there in the way that it was supposed to be done is because Van Avermaet was able to take the wheel of Alaphilippe going into the climbing section in the last kilometer. And I think that's the old deciding factor. I think Ballerini made mistakes. I think Alaphilippe made some mistakes, perhaps. I think that Ballerini's insight today perhaps was a bit of an issue. And I think that's because Alaphilippe probably didn't realize he had to do a lead-out still for Ballerini. Ballerini should have realized that that's a possibility that Alaphilippe would think that. And instead, he decided to stay on Alaphilippe's wheel for a bit. And there, he lost positions. Higita was able to get past them. Like, it's a tiny dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I think this stage will go down in my memory for a long time because yeah. of Matthew van der Poel's post-up before the line. He's come past <laughs> Wapanar, who's dead. Van der Poel puts his crosses his hands, mean mugs. It's it's going to be an iconic image, I think. And he was mad after losing the stage yesterday or whatever it was. That he, yeah, yesterday that he thought he should have won. He's out of position. Wavanaugh won the first stage. Alaphilippe the second stage. Van der Poel the third stage. Van Aert second. Ballerini third. Igita fourth. Van Avermaet fifth. Jasper de Bois sixth. Benji. Uh, with no you in there, sprinted for himself. Even Garcia Cortina, seventh after crashing. He had road rash all in his right thigh today. Tadej Pogacar still up there, eighth. Gonzalo Serrano, ninth. And Hugo Ofstetter, tenth. Um, I just want to see where Bernal is on. It looks spongy like Bernal, Sivakov, and Thomas all lost about 30 seconds or 25 seconds today. They've dropped down. Uh, GC quite a bit, maybe less than that, 12 to 15 seconds. So Bernal is now on 38, yeah. Sivakov 37, Thomas 39. 
That's not ideal. Yeah, that's not good going into Prato di Tivo, which is tomorrow's stage, the proper mountain test. This Terreno Adriatico is just ridiculous. It's so good. 148k no, stage. It's one of the it's this is one of the best one week races I've ever seen it. We're three stages in. And I can't wait for tomorrow. 148k is from Terni to Prato di Prati di Tivo. I keep calling it Prato di Tivo. Prati di Tivo. Two uh, all category climbs. One's the first one's not actually so hard. They got a roll uh, seven seven point six k's at five percent at about sixty two k's in. Then they do the Paso Capanelle, thirteen point eight k's at four and a half percent. I don't think that will particularly worry Wout van Aert or Van der Poel, and I don't expect any attacks there with a long. What is that? I got twenty five kilometer descent afterwards. And then the big test, which I cannot wait to see, 14.5Ks at 7%, the climb tomorrow, perfectly regular, gradient as well. It's between 6 and 7 just about for the entirety of oh, one, 1K at 8. But, yeah, very, very regular climb. Same with the uh, Paso Capanella. Who? What do you think is going to happen, Benji? Because I don't think Pagacha has the train to set things up, so I think Pagacha is going to have to rely on other teams doing it for him. Maybe he got lucky with Bernal losing so much time. I have no issue. Like, any of his grenadiers are there. They're going to do the train for him this time around. They're going to do what Yumbo did in the Tour de France and basically cause him to have a perfect lead out into the last section. Uh, I think the only surprise that Ineos can make is if they play tactically on the final climb, if they isolate Pogacar and then decide to play with Sivakov, Thomas and Bernal. That could be really interesting. Because if they just do a three-man train and do stuff like that, then it's going to end with Pogacar not losing time that day. So they got to play it very special to try and make something happen. They've got the team to explode stuff. But the fact that he lost time today... Maybe they just got, I mean, they all caught up with a crash at a bad time. No three-kilometer yeah. rule outside the three Ks. It was at like 3.3Ks. What can you do, I guess? Um, was Bernal, yeah, Bernal in the crash? I swear, I saw Bernal standing at the side of the road at some point. Yeah, he was in the crash, so I feel like they just oh, got that. really unlucky. Yeah, they were, they we were in really weird position. Them. They were in weird position. Yeah, usually, usually Ineos is the team that is able to stay at the front of the peloton, keeping themselves from harm, and right now they were not really in the position that they usually do that, so... Perhaps a bit of nonchalance going into the last section, not being in a position where you can be safe from crashes happening behind you. But I don't really think we can blame them then if they lost the time because of the crash. And I think we will see fireworks tomorrow. I hope so. And I, I expect it. Do you think that every- Van Aert... I know, I know everyone likes Filippo Ganna, but he ain't no Luke Rowe yet. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, um, he did a, one nice pull in the UAE. Uh, into the last 1500 meters which not as helpful because it's already past the three game mark um, but yeah I've not seen Ghana consistently getting on the front keeping Bernal and Co safe in these latter, latter ends of these stages so yeah something he might need to look at as well and something he should theoretically be good at uh, but yeah shame that Thomas Bernal and Sivakov lost time sorry you were going to ask me a question Yes, Van Aert, Prato di Tivo, what do you expect? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't it really depends. Nah, he looks... I was, I was looking at photos of uh, the Tour de France last year, um, you know, just wistfully on my wall, and he does look <laughs> a, it does look very different. Like, he does look in, in cobbled shape at the moment. Like, he was he was very, very skinny then. Um, so, and it was, that was when he was climbing really well, and 14.7Ks at 7%. Simon Yates here. Who knows what Simon Yates will bring? I'm not actually expecting too much. Um, He'll drop himself again. I can feel yeah, it. I, I don't see it. And you know you know the problem, Benji, is that the Yama Visma don't have anyone to pace for Van Aert. Like, there's no Coos here. What, Foss maybe? Foss and Hersink? Hersink hasn't looked in great form. Like, they don't really have the team to support him either. So... Yeah. Who are you picking? What do you think? You think he's going to lose? What was it? But how much time would he lose? 30? 40? 53 seconds. That means he's still right up there on GC, though. 
if he loses 53 seconds, then he'll still be, you know, I believe 10 he'll seconds. top 10 Tirreno. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, I'd say that's a good shout at this point, given that Tivo's the main test. What is he? Lander. I think I think Bahrain will try something for Lander as well. So there'll be a lot of other teams pacing. I don't think it'll be it'll be an easy climb. What about Van der Poel, Benji? No, I don't believe in it. I think that Van der Poel has clearly set his sights on what he wants to achieve in the season. I don't think he's in a Lombardia form in any way. I I don't see it happening that he comes out on top here on on this race. I don't think yeah, I think he's going to have a similar result than Van Aert, but I'm not sure he's going to try as much. I just don't know. I don't know what to expect, but I... Uh, I'm betting on Alaphilippe for the stage. It's a good take after what we saw in Provence. He was good there. I think that he was only dropped by Bernal in the last 500 meters there, so... After yeah, I think it's very much whole... possible. I'm going to go for Pogacar. I'm, I'm going to stick with the basics and the... Yeah, he's apparently a good climber. I can't wait to see this stage tomorrow yeah. for Torino Adriatico. Now moving on to the Healthy Aging Tour stages two and three. Stage two was the individual time trial, fourteen and a half kilometers from Laursug to Laursug. What an unusual name! In the north of Holland, the weather was apparently biblical, like the wind was absurd, and it wasn't safe to ride the TT uh, at the projected start time, which is actually normally a good time for me, 9 p.m. Uh, in the evening where I am. But it got pushed back to like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock local time and uh, just didn't work for us time zones because that's 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning for me. And um, the wind was still really strong when they did it. They all had to race it on road bikes, which is uh, pretty terrifying. 14K, absolutely pancake flat course and contenders for the stage were Lisa Klein, Brennauer, Peters, Norsgaard, um, Ellen van Dijk, of course. And I mean, just how, I'll do it how we normally do TTs, Benji. Ellen van Dijk won time of 20.53, <laughs> average speed of 41.37, 26 seconds out of Peters. Ellen van Dijk on Trek Segafredo, Peters on SD Works. Two Dutch women, Lisa Brennauer, third for Sarah Tizit. 30 seconds back. Emma Norsgaard showing, I thought she might get a top three, but it's fourth, still good. 36 seconds back. Lisa Klein, fifth. Just Jocelyn Loudon, Benji, for drops LeCole. 43 seconds back. I think she's the uh, the rider that set the unofficial hour record in that controversial British cycling uh, pre-Olympics <laughs> testing. No, seriously. But yeah. I've got to I've got to fact check that, but I think... Um, the commentary with um, was it Macross and said that today. Uh, he and uh, I think he and Danny Rowe are very very good on the women's races. Uh, but Alice Barnes seventh, twenty Bequi 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 for Yamba Visma women. A minute two back. Anna Henderson ninth and Daniek Hangeveld who came eighth yesterday in that on stage one after that break. 10th. So Ellen van Dyke striking out in the TT. Anything surprise you about that, Benji? Uh, Norsgaard, obviously, is she like, are you surprised by her being that far up there with van Dyke, Peterson, Brennau? I think Norsgaard is starting to be one of the uh, breakthroughs of the season, certainly. And she's showing every single race that she rides now that she's very, very strong. And she also was already decent at time trial, but she confounded once again I think Alan van Dijk was the ungodly favorite pretty much for this entire tour, knowing that she's won it three times in a row beforehand. And this is the fourth time that she was in a position already after stage one to potentially take it home in the end if she if she did well on the second and third stage, the second being a time trial. So it fits her to the bone. And what, what was special about this time trial too for me is that the earliest riders had so much wind and the wind started dropping towards a time where the likes of a Norsgaard and a Van Dijk had to ride. So the initial riders perhaps had a bit of a bad luck, serious bad luck, I'd say, when it comes to the weather difference, kind of like the first men's Giro stage of last year. Very similar in the same sense that the weather changed throughout the race. And I do not think that it changed the winner here because Van Dijk was just dominant above the rest. She's 
she does what she does best on this terrain. We were looking at the likes of a of a Brenauer perhaps, and a Bond to try and protect her her uh, her placing in GC. Dora, I didn't really believe in personally. I, I don't think she she's a, a great TTR, and I think she lost two minutes indeed in the end. Yeah. So not a good time trial, but also not really expected to have a good time trial. I think this time trial just had the winner that was written down for it. We tried to go for some some uh, outsiders once we tried predicting the stench a few days ago. I think you actually said you could see Norsgaard winning this. So she came very close in the time trial as well. She proved once again she's up there. Uh, and yeah, that's basically nothing. Brenauer was top three as well. Uh, let me check to be sure because I'm just going off the top of my head yes, right now. She was. Yes, she was second. So that was the top three for certain. So going into stage three, the GC Anna van Dijk leading 23 seconds ahead of Amy Peters. So a bit of unusual territory for SD Works not being a leaders going into in any race. Really, Lisa Brenauer third on 25, Norsgaard fourth on 33, Klein fifth on 39. Other SD Works riders, Majerus Luxembourg national champ at 1 minute 17, as well as Caroline uh, Canwell at 1.48 and Lonica Uniken at 1.59. This stage three parkour from, is it Vista or Vaista Benji? V- how do you say it? Vaister. Try Vaister. Yes. Waster. And okay. what's special and, about this parkour? It's on, it's on top of the waist jump. Yes. So Waster makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> what is the history of this special course, Benji? It's a bit of a funny story, actually, because, you know, the Netherlands, it's a pretty flat country. Not too many hills in it, no climbs. It's very difficult for someone like a, a Tom Dumoulin or a Kruiswijk or even a Kelderman to become Dutch national champion on the road. Van der Poel, yeah, he, he has a bit of a, a combination there with sprinting and hilling, so he can do both, really. Usually it was always or relatively always a either sprinty or relatively hilly parkour, and that brought forward the likes of a Grunewagen or Jakobsen winning those races and single them once, but let's not think about that moment anymore. Anyway, they had to create something to make sure the climbers could also have an opportunity. They decided to see, oh, there's a waste dump. Let's make a, a hill out of it. And that's how the Vamberg was created. And the Vamberg, which is how they pronounce it, is the, uh, well, the climb we do 17 times or the women did 17 times in this stage, which is crazy. It's not the steepest or the biggest climb, but if you do it 17 times, it's going to hurt. And that's really the key to this entire story. It's a very difficult race because of the consecutive climbing round circuits you get. 400 meters of 5.8%. There's a bit of cobbles on it. I can't tell you if it's like very difficult cobbles or anything. I generally they're can't quite tell you. nasty. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. Apparently they're like nastier than the actual cobbles that are normally in the area. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're, I mean, you're the flop. cobble expert though. Yeah, I haven't I haven't went to analyze on on site yet, so I can't tell you the, the quality of cobbles that they have in the Netherlands. But the Flemish cobbles are obviously much better. I can tell you that with full confidence. Anyway, today's stage would be a bit of a war of attrition. I, I was expecting really. So a lot of perhaps one women army attacks at certain points to try and blow stuff up and i think i think we saw that throughout the entire race right because like it wasn't really that you had the breakaway then everybody gets caught and then on the last hill they attack it's war throughout when live coverage started there was a group of 30 and a break of four everyone was like perished (laughs) it was it was like the nastiest race ever and I said to Benji, I'm like, the title of this needs to be not the healthy aging tour, it's the unhealthy will age you tour. Because it was <laughs> like terrible joke. minus three degrees. Go and look at their Twitter. Go and look at the, the finish line <laughs> photos and stuff. Fuck me. Like, it's got to be so cold, rainy. If any of y'all think I'm moving to the Netherlands or Belgium when I move to Europe, you're out of your goddamn mind. But uh, anyway. When we joined live coverage, it was about 46 k's to go. Uh, there was a bunch of 45 riders a minute behind the breakaway. The breakaway was five riders, Julien Dor uh, and Lonica Uniken, who both of SD works. 
they were both like two minutes behind on GC. So they put in their like quote unquote weaker GC threats, SD works into the break. Anna Henderson of Yumba Visma, Loretta Hansen for Trek, Segafredo and Emma Norsgaard for Movistar. They had a gap of like 47 seconds and pretty weird, Benji, because Loretta Hansen in the break, but Ellen Van Dyke in the leader's jersey on Trek having to pace back to that break. Yeah, not ideal, is it? Because usually you've got the situation where you try and encircle your leader with as many teammates as possible so that she can keep the gap under control to the front of the reins, but you're basically spending energy. And I think the idea behind it could be that they're saying, oh, let's put her in a seat behind, but that's not really how you race as a leader, I would expect. So yeah, a bit of a weird situation. Perhaps she got into that by by accident and they wanted to keep both the GC and the stage win on the table as potential stuff to happen. But I still think it's weird. I think that, yeah, I think they could have played it more defensively. And if, if it did anything or not, we'll see at the end of our little exploratory uh, story here. But I think that that group, yeah, it... Like they got pulled it. back, I think, or yeah. a few of them got dropped out of it. Uh, 25 Ks to go, they had like a 23 second lead. I think Carol and Canuel had bridged across as well, uh, to that group. So, still two ST Works riders. Julian Dor was like dropping every climb, every ascent more and more, and then she eventually dropped out of that group. ST Works not happy with. I guess they just want to put more pressure on Alan Van Dyke. So they had attacked with uh, Majerus, who was also like a minute 17 back on GC. So they like held her back because she was not as far back on GC. Then she attacked with Lisa Brenal, German, on Theratizit. They were like 23 seconds back. And then it was Lonika Uniken who went clear of the breakaway, the young Dutch rider on SD Works. Apparently there's a little bit of hype about her. She had... A minute 16 on the bunch with 18 Ks to go. And eventually Ellen Van Dyke tried to bridge across to Brenauer. Who was the Canyon Shram rider, Benji, who kept trying to bridge solo? Lisa I can't, anyway, Klein. Canyon Shram rider. Pardon? Lisa Klein. Yeah, I think she cost herself today. Working too much solo. Um, she could have followed more moves and she tried to do it all herself when if she's a bit more patient. SD works and it inevitably would have done it for her. So eight chases with Ellen Van Dyke, Peters, Brenauer, Klein, I think as well, maybe Barnes as well, 116 gap. And then this is where it started to get really, really exciting. Lonica Unikin's clear, two minutes back on GC. Ellen Van Dyke has no teammates and SD works were at the front. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And the time gap was going down. So it looked like they were chasing their own teammate. But when I, when you looked at what yep. um, they were doing, they were barely pedaling. So like, at what point did you realize the time gaps were lying to us? I think we're, I don't know how many kilometers to go, but they came into uh, just before the final lap. And this means that, you're basically just before the ascension to the Vambelli because that's the end of each lap. And they go on to this section where it's like a bit of a an eight, yeah, a sideways eight, an infinity symbol, the road, the parkour. And while the group and the person that was trying to bridge, I think it was Lisa Klein at that moment, was starting the entire eight symbol to the right, so she had to go the entire way around to then go down again and then go to the left. We already saw that at the finish line, she was already passing Lonica Uniken. And we saw when that group started that that symbol, the infinity symbol, it's very difficult to understand. Okay, I know. It's not my, my easiest explanation, but basically we saw at that point that while they were doing the right section. She was already doing the left section, which means that it must have been more than a minute and a half. And then suddenly, boom, the time gap showed up when they crossed the finish line. And why did it show up there? Because that's where they really calculated the seconds between the groups on this terrain. They 
don't have the best budget in this race. And that is the way they decided to do it for most of the situation, it seems. And that is where they knew for clear that the gap between the two groups, between Lonneke Uniken, Lisa Klein, was 2 minutes 31, which means there was another half a minute to the actual group behind Lisa Klein, which is 3 minutes. And at that point, you're you're starting to think, oh boy, Ellen van Dijk, this is a very difficult moment for you because now you're virtually losing your lead in GC to Lonneke Uniken at the start of the race. So she had to crawl back from that point onwards. And I think that's also the moment and we started deteriorating or seeing deterioration in what Lonneke Uniken was doing at the front of the race. Every single time the road went up from that point, she started having trouble. That was the problem. So both SG Works riders, the rider Uniken in the lead, was getting more tired, understandably. She'd already been in the breakaway before yeah. at like 45 k's to go. But Amy Peters, who was 23 seconds back on Ellen Van Dyke, who was, you know, quote-unquote supposed to be getting a free ride, whilst Lisa Klein, Brennauer and Van Dyke had to pace, she was also getting, like, dropping a little bit every ascent of the Col du Vam. And... Um, yeah, we eventually saw, we knew it was going to be a really close run thing because it got brought back to two minutes with six Ks to go. I think there's bonus seconds on the line for the stage winner. We knew, obviously, that Unikun, unless she fell off her bike, was going to win the stage. It was just whether she could win by a minute 49 or more. And I think she got caught in the crossfire a little bit because Norsgaard Benji started to pace pretty hard yeah. as well as Brenauer. I think they were kind of attacking each other on GC, to be honest, and Norsgaard was trying to move up on general classification. And eventually Unikun crosses. So Unikun, like, crawls across the line. We've seen in the back. Peter's, I was like, oh, well, Unikun's probably not going to win GC if it keeps going this way. Surely the plan is for Peter's to attack, but she couldn't. Like, so... Yeah, that was that was the main problem in the floor in the SD Works plan. That was pretty good, pretty good one. Norsgaard then surges really hard up to the last ascent uh, with Brennauer on her wheel, drops Van Dijk, Klein, Peters, and yeah, she comes second on the stage, a minute fourteen back with Brennauer on her wheel, and then we're waiting for the clock to tick, and it's ticking, 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 and. Eventually, Alan Van Dyke holds on, finishing a minute 29 back on Lonica Unikin, holding it. Even though she'd been dropped and isolated, she was able to just limit her losses and uh, hold on to GC. I couldn't believe it. Van Dyke, six seconds ahead of Brunauer and 12 seconds ahead of Norsgaard third. Unikin, 20 seconds back in fourth. But yeah, what an exciting finish, Benji. One of, the, one of the most exciting women's races I've seen recently, and it didn't have some of the big names here. Yeah, I think that is the beauty of cycling for me as well. Uh, we see for one of the first times, we don't see this often, the continental races, or we call it continental races, but the sub-world tour races, the ones that are not in the world tour classification, those are the ones where sometimes the best racing is formed because you don't know who is the all-out favorite. Let's look at Tirino Adriatico with the men's edition now. You know for each of the first three stages which of the well, who are the top four in the stage? And that's something you don't have in this situation because it can come from so many different places. And you can have a youngster that overperforms in a very, very beautiful way. Like we had today, Lonica Uniken, she's 21 and she's showing our colors that she can do this stuff in the future as D-Works has a valuable, valuable rider in that. And it's also her first victory, if I recall correctly, her first pro win. So... Definitely, yeah, definitely showing off, I'd say, and definitely showing that she deserves that spot in the team, which is a very, very loaded team already. So that's great stuff. And we also see the likes of a Danique Hengeveld a few days ago, I think yesterday in the time trial as well with the top 10 placing. She also performed very well in the first two stages. She died out on the third one, but can't blame her. She's super young, showed herself. She's going to get a, a proper contract, I think very, very soon. I think that we're going to see from these kind of races, talent grow up and talent move into World Tour. And I love that. And I wish that perhaps the World Tour circuit with the women's races was a bit bigger. 
that there were more teams in there. The likes of Ayumbo deserves that spot, in my opinion. I think that there's a, there's quite a number of a few Conti teams that would deserve a spot in the World Tour circuit, I'd say. But it's probably more of a financial question than anything UCI-wise. And yeah, we, we really wanted to cover this race, even though we only cover normally World Tour or Women's World Tour races. We obviously didn't cover the Samin or La Guelia or GP Industria or Kerner. Uh, but we had a lot of the World Tour teams here. It's one of the only women's stage races on for quite a yeah, while. And exactly. it was super exciting. Yeah. I think that one of the reasons that we want to cover it that much is because there's so limited coverage of women's cycling that this is just something that we can do. And this is going to sound stupid, but... And we could watch it. Yeah, certainly. That's the most important part here. Otherwise, we have a difficulty explaining what happened, really. So, <laughs> yeah, that would have been awkward. But... Uh, the first stage of Tireno, I think it was the fourth or third stage of Paris-Nice was on that day, and it was also the first stage of Healthy Aging Tour, and somehow I was more, I was more hyped about the Healthy Aging Tour than the first stage of Tireno and that Paris-Nice stage on the day, which is heresy for a lot of people, but it's just because yeah, I mean, sometimes I... Mean, I... Paris-Nice <laughs> The Tireno stage, I grant you, but Paris-Nice ITT, come on. But yeah, I take your point. Like I was pretty excited for today's stage in particular. Um, I couldn't wait to see this because I didn't catch the Netherlands National Championship last year. Even though the result looks predictable, Alan van Dijk taking out a fourth GC at this race. Um, but certainly, this if you want to catch an hour of racing that is really exciting because Paranese and Tirreno you could probably catch the finales, but if you want to catch the last hour of racing, a full hour of exciting, really tough attritional racing, then Healthy Aging Tour Stage 3 should be, it's a pretty good one. I think it's on Eurosport GCN or uh, Podium TV or wherever. I don't know. You'll figure it out wherever you are in the world. Uh, but that's our recap today of Healthy Aging Tour Stage 3 and the GC as well as Paranese Stage 6 and Torino Adriatico Stage 3. We'll be back tomorrow with a recap of just the two men's races that are on uh, Saturday. And, uh, yeah, that's all. I'm pretty buckled, Benji. It's now 3.15 in the morning. I'm going to get to sleep. And um, sweet dreams for Ilnor Zakarin in winning tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 